there, sports fans, and welcome to the Heavy Hitters Podcast, the ultimate destination for your weekly dose of sports excitement with co-host Darnell Duff. Now it's Sandvin, right point with it, left circle, Paul wants it, fires it, scores! Ashton Paul, welcome to Dolphin! And co-host Jeff Henson. Williams, blue line, shot, great mouth! Oh, you hit! Score! Score! Morgan McLean! The score for AJHL champions! Whether you're into goals, touchdowns, three-pointers, or home runs, we've got it all covered. We're here to bring you the latest updates, witty commentary, and a whole lot of sports love. So, whether you're tuning in from the sidelines or the comfort of your own couch, get ready for a fast-paced ride through the world of sports. Strap in, because it's game time on the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Hello, good morning, good afternoon. Maybe it's the middle of the night when you're listening to this. Nonetheless, hello, thank you for tuning in. Episode 2 of the Heavy Hitters Podcast with Jeff Henson, Henny, and Darnell Duff. Jeff, you grew up in St. Rose. I grew up in Winnipeg, and we're back for another show, a new week. They actually let us back on here for another week, eh? They probably shouldn't have done that. (laughs) I also do want to give a shout-out. I do want to give a shout-out to uh, Alan Truman uh, at CKDM here, who has given us uh, the right to use the broadcast studio here for our show show. Uh, A shout-out to Alan Truman. Another shout-out also want to give to our social media manager, Connor Sims. Simsy, you know we appreciate you, everything you do. So thank you so much. Jeff, any shout-outs for you before oh, we get to business? We, we got one. Okay. We got one certain shout-out I have to give here. And that shout-out would be to you, my good friend, Mr. Duff. Oh, Big boy. announcement from you earlier this week. You and your lovely fiance Brody expecting your first child a little later on this year. So uh, congratulations to you thank guys. You. Looking thank forward you. to uh, welcoming a future First round pick in the 2042 <laughs> NHL draft to the world uh, a little later on this year. Well, if he's uh, if he's as skilled as I am on the ice, it yeah I, I don't know. Maybe I'll give him some give him or her some broadcasting. I was gonna genes. say maybe a future voice of the Winnipeg Jets. How about that? Whatever it happens to be, but uh, yeah, appreciate that. August 2024 honestly feels like an absolute dream come true, and another dream come true is getting a chance to host a podcast with yourself. Last week. We started things off with introductions a little bit about ourselves. Today, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty. I want to start things off by chatting about All-Star Games. Oh, I got some beefs when it comes to this. I know you do. You're not happy. I came in this morning, and we we, throughout the week, we've talked about what we're going to chat about on the podcast this week. Your number one topic was the All-Star Games. So let's start with the NBA All-Star Game this year. Carl Anthony Towns led the way with 50 points for his team. Damian Lillard named MVP 39 points. Now, I know even in the regular season at some times, there's no defense in the NBA. 211 <laughs> to 186 for the Eastern Conference team. That is just an absurd amount joke. of points. What a joke. Like, I want to see at least a little bit of defense. Guy, honestly, guys are actively getting out of the yep. way of forwards so they can try and whether it's a dunk or even just an open three pointer. What what has the All Star Game 
become. And why? Because, the, uh, you know, you look at social media these days and social media is the perfect place and Facebook and Twitter, the perfect place for people just to crap on things that they don't like. And then they have a bunch of keyboard warriors. But yeah. in this specific vo- vein, I agree with them because all-star games specifically and the NBA have become obsolete, a complete joke. I can't imagine if you're a true basketball fan, that you actually enjoy oh. this other oh. than maybe if you're playing a drinking game with the buddies and you want to get absolutely hammered and you drink it every time there's a three-point shot. But if you're a true basketball fan, you you you, you just can't you can't enjoy what is happening in all-star games across the board, but especially with what's going on in the hoops world. It is an absolute waste of time. You mean First off, it started with the celebrity game on Friday. What's the point of that? On top of that, the only thing I really enjoyed in the entire weekend was seeing Sabrina Ionescu go against the guys in the three-point competition. And that was the only thing I enjoyed the entire weekend. Right down to the wire against Steph Curry. Of course, uh, Curry was using NBA balls. Uh, Ionescu was using WNBA balls. Same three-pointer, 29 to 26. That was some awesome entertainment. So, and, and the dunk competition, the skill overall, I don't think the whole entire NBA All Star weekend is a joke. But to wrap it up with the mockery that is the All Star game, that is where I have a legit problem. And then you go to the NHL, where I, I love the hardest shot, I love the accuracy competition, I love how some of these guys fail and some of them uh, sparkle. You saw Connor McDavid. Obviously, the best player in the world, maybe of all time, had a great skills competition. But then you go to the All-Star game, and it is three-on-three garbage. Now, I'm over three-on-three. Even when it comes to the regular season and that five-minute overtime, I am over three-on-three. I think it's overdone. It's like a well-done steak. Throw it to the garbage because it just isn't good anymore. Not a fan of three-on-three. Not a fan of the NHL All-Star game. It needs a revamp, too. Oh, exactly. I mean, the only one in my mind that gets it somewhat right when it comes to All-Star games is Major League Baseball. You can't fake a 96-mile-an-hour no, you, you can't fake a 96-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, they're, they're the, only, the rest of them are just glorified skills competitions, as far as I'm concerned. And, I mean, I want to see actual, actual games. And the NHL is throwing everything at the dartboard with regards to an all-star event and trying to make it competitive, make it interesting, and nothing works. The only thing I haven't seen yet, and I'm wondering how it would work, and if you could get everybody on board with it, would be an all-star team, the best of the best. Enough of this, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but enough of this making sure one player from every team takes part in the all-star game. That's the only thing I like about the NBA is they pick the absolute best on best. There's not a a need for every team to have one representative in it. It's honestly the best 24 players or whatever in the league taking part in that all-star game. That's the only thing, as far as I'm concerned, the NBA gets right with their all-star game. NHL could learn a lesson from that with regards to how they pick their all-stars. Major League Baseball, um, we haven't even touched on the NFL. And How about why? the tackle football game they have? And 60, 64 to 59 this year for the NFC. More than 120 points were scored. And what was it? Touch football? It's ta- Yeah, it's touch. You just touch it. Oh, oh, oh. Did I hit you too hard? Are you going to sprain your ankle? Come on. The guys who are playing in the Super Bowl 
aren't playing in the yep. Pro Bowl. So why not? Maybe you don't try and take someone's head off or tear to you know try to tear someone's ACL. But come on, no. it's football. It's meant to be tackle, is it not? It's time to either a abolish the All Star games altogether, or b come up with something to make them interesting and worthwhile to watch because. Like I said, outside of baseball, and you and I were talking about this earlier on, and I'm sure one of our listeners will, will correct us on this or not. Do they still determine home field advantage in the World Series? I, I, the I believe game? they don't. That That is something they've switched. I thought they did. I thought they still did. But, again, I'm not 100% positive on that. I thought that was a great way of making the All-Star game even more interesting for Major League Baseball, at least as far as having something noteworthy on the line for the teams to play for. Not more than this, you know, was it million dollars that the NHL puts out or whatever the NBA has for their prizes or or whatever in their all-star game. And again, I, I, I the Pro Bowl is so irrelevant to me, I don't even pay any attention to it whatsoever. So on that same topic, Jeff, of the MLB doing it where you get the winning team gets a home field advantage for the World Series, can the NHL not do that? You go East against West, East Conference against West Conference, five on five. It's a legit hockey game. Can you not do you get home ice advantage in the Stanley Cup final? I still don't know if enough guys would take it seriously enough to make it an actual, you know, feel like an actual regular NHL game. The, the method I would love to see the NHL try, and I think it could have some traction if you can get everybody on board of it, is have an all-star team, your best players in the league, Go up against the defending Stanley Cup champions. But what are they playing for? Realistically, if the you Stanley put, Cup champions are playing for no, pride. No, for sure. But but if you Jeff, but if you put the best of the rest against the Stanley Cup champions, the best of the rest is going to hammer the Stanley Cup champions. Because you're gonna have the best of the rest first line, the best of the rest second line, the best of the rest third line, and the best of the rest fourth line, and the best of the rest goalies. Like realistically, the Stanley Cup champions, as good as they were to beat every other team in the National Hockey League, if you put them up against the best of the rest in the National Hockey League, they're probably going to get pounded. But at least you should have an interesting hockey game. But will you? The, the, well, I, at least out of the NHL side, or the Stanley Cup champion side, you're going to see them trying. You're going to see at least one team trying to play a regular game out of this. And with that, you would then think, the all-star team is going to turn around and, hey, we got to be physical. we got to play this game a little natural. And you're going to at least get, I think, a better game than what you're getting this garbage now that we see out of the NHL for an all-star game. So let's say let's say the Boston Bruins win the Stanley Cup. Okay. So you're putting up their roster against the best of the rest. So you're having, uh, theoretically, Andre Vasilevsky in net. You're having Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, all of the top players in the NHL on one team, as good as Boston is, in one game, this other team, they, they should just absolutely pound them. I mean, they have the best of the players. You're going to have second-line guys in the NHL playing on your fourth line. You should, but the NHL Stanley Cup champion also has chemistry on their side. Yeah, they do. Where you're throwing an all-star team together, guys that have never played together or anything like that, the, NHL, the Stanley Cup champion has chemistry on their side. They've got that pride of, hey, we don't want to be embarrassed. We're the, we're the defending champs. And they're going to go out and they're going to play an actual physical, regular brand style of hockey, not 
pond hockey like we see with the All-Star game right now. I agree things have to change without a doubt. Now, you want it, the Stanley Cup champions against the best of the rest. I, I, think, I want them gone. I'll be honest. I want the, I want the All-Star game gone. Stay, if they stay, that's an option. That's my format okay. I want to see. That's your format. I'm not sure that format would work, but I'm glad you thought of one. My format is East against West home ice advantage in the Stanley Cup Finals because hey, when a spade is spade, you want home ice advantage in the Stanley Cup Finals. Neither of these options, Gary Bettman's not listing right no. now. John Daly's not, or Bill Daly's not listing. They don't care. Uh, but that is our opinions. Now, Austin Matthews is on an absolute heater. Will he get to 70 goals when the Heavy Hitters podcast comes back? We'll let you know our thoughts. The Heavy Hitters podcast returns in just a moment with Duffy and Henny. Do you have a heavy hitting topic you want the boys to chat about? Hit them up on Twitter at It's the Duffy One. Jay Henson 73 or send a message to the Heavy Hitters Podcast Facebook page. And in the meantime, enjoy the show with Duffy and Henny. Welcome back to the show, the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Again, a big shout out to our social media manager, Connor Sims. Now, Jeff, last week we talked about the Toronto Maple Leafs and we said... We admitted it, that if there was one team to win the Stanley Cup from Canada, we still don't want it to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I can give credit where credit is due. And a man that just continues to score back-to-back hat-tricks recently, you can't stop him. He puts himself in all the right positions. And even when he isn't in the right position, he's still finding a way to put the puck in the back of the net. It is Austin Matthews. Going into Tuesday, he has 49 goals. The big question is now, with 28 games left in the season, he needs 21 goals. Does Mr. Matthews get to 70? I think he does. I think he will. I think he'll get those 21 goals over the next 28 games to uh, to get to the 70 goal mark. And the thing that amazed me, we look back at this, uh, Darnell. There has not been a 70 goal scorer in the NHL since 1993. When Alex McGillney and Timu Solani each had 76 goals that year. Uh, it's hard to believe that we have not seen anybody come close to the 70 goal mark or, or hit the 70 goal mark in over 30 years. And now we're looking at the possibility of that uh, with Austin Matthews and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Even with that, I don't think you can give him, I, I don't think he's the most valuable player in the National Hockey it's, League. It's not this all season. about points, it truly isn't. But I agree, you can't, you can't give him the most valuable player. But he is scoring at nearly one a goal game pace. Yep. He has 49 goals in 53 games. So if he stays healthy with 28 games left, I mean, he should get to that 72-73 mark. Not sure he gets to 76 or to 77, but realistically should get to that 72 or 73 mark. But the, the question I want to pose to you, Jeff, let's say he does get to 72. He beats that 70 mark, incredible regular season, but at the end of the day, he doesn't do much in the playoffs, doesn't help Toronto get over that leaps. I mean, they got over it last year when they finally got out of the first round, but they don't make an extended playoff run. Where does this leave him with? Just a regular season performer? Because based on what the top players in the National Hockey League have said, that isn't good enough. So yes, Austin Matthews is a great scorer, there's no doubt about it. One of the best, uh, perhaps, in NHL history. 
But w- where does that leave him if he can't help Toronto get over that hump in the playoffs? Until he's able to do that, he's going to be in the likes of a Marcel Dion. A great player, but not that elite player. Guy that was able to help his club win a Stanley Cup. You can put guys like, nowadays, you can put a Sidney Crosby up there. You can put a Nathan McKinnon up there, along with the likes of the Gretzkys and the Lemieux and the Howes and such like that. Those guys who won championships with their respective clubs and led their clubs to those championships. I don't think you can put Austin Matthews at that level just yet until the Leafs actually get to that point of winning a Stanley Cup, and he plays a key role in doing so. So you bring up the word elite. Does does that mean in that also turn, Connor McDavid isn't elite until Edmonton wins the Stanley Cup? Uh, not, uh, as far as I'm concerned, not at the level of a Gretzky or Lemieux. He's a great, great player. Yes, one of the best in the world when it comes to what he does in the regular season. But he's got to get his club to the Stanley Cup, and he's got to win a Stanley Cup, I think, to be in that same breath as guys like Gretzky and Lemieux. So, Jeff, is this the year, though? Is the, is this the year that, although maybe we don't want it to happen, it's it, it still would be cool if, if Toronto won the Stanley Cup because ultimately it is a Canadian team and it just doesn't happen. Is this the year, though, that maybe they get it done? No, never. The Why? way that that franchise is built right now, the way that that roster is built right now, they will not win the Stanley is Cup. Is it because they they're, have so many players that are taking up such they're, a big they're too salary top cap? Heavy. They're too top-heavy. They've got way too much high-end, high-priced talent that they're having to fill the rest of their lineup with low-priced guys that you know probably would not make a lot of other teams on a regular basis. But they have to play on Toronto because that's the only way Toronto is able to fill out their roster. They, they're they worried so much about these high-end guys, they don't have the depth below had to uh, make themselves a legit Stanley Cup contender. So when it comes to high-end, high-priced talent, one of those guys isn't even playing right now by the name of Morgan Riley. He was suspended for five games after uh, it, what... We could talk about this for days. We could likely argue there's a lot of people who think it was extremely clean. There's a lot of people who think it was vicious. I am leaning more to the vicious side. And I understand maybe you're pissed off with what Ridley did because maybe Ridley did not have to do what he did. Slap the puck into the net with 5.1 seconds left. With that being said, it's a rivalry game. Mm -hmm. Ottawa beat Toronto. I, I don't even know if Ridley's in the wrong, but... At the end of the day, Morgan Riley is. You have to keep your stick low. You know what you're doing. Morgan knew what he was doing. Yep. He knew he was putting his stick up high. Although Ridley Gregg was not injured on that play, that could have been a life-altering injury. He could have been out for a long time, and now Morgan's suspension has been upheld by Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the league, five games. Was this the right decision? He's damn lucky he only got five games. As far as I'm concerned, that's... Damn near double digits. If Ridley Gregg is injured, he's probably gone double digits, if not even longer, or at least more than 10 games. He's lucky Gregg didn't get injured, or else, yeah, it would have been a longer suspension. And yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned it and you hit the nail on the head. You got to be able to control your stick when it comes to stuff like that. You know, even if he goes and pushes him or something like that after the play, that's a little more understandable than getting your stick up towards the head and the neck area. And uh, Riley, I think, is. Is lucky, yeah. Toronto fans are probably like, it's about time somebody on this roster showed a little uh, emotion when it comes to stuff like that. But nonetheless, you know, Morgan Riley's lucky he only got 
five games in that, and that the suspension was not longer. Now, this isn't about talking down the Toronto Maple Leafs. This isn't about crapping on the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm a big Edmonton Oilers fan. If if Dylan Holloway went to someone and put his stick up high and cross-checked someone in the neck, I want him to get a lengthy suspension. Yep. It is about player safety at Absolutely. the end of the day. And what I, I honestly find it comical, Jeff, that some people think it was an okay play in this day and age, which, in my opinion, it, it, it just isn't. But so many people believe it is. I, I just, I, I've been thinking about this ever since it happened. I can't wrap my head around why you think cross-checking and following through is okay to someone's neck. Yeah, 99% of those people are Toronto Maple Leaf fans, though. Let's be honest. They're probably, the majority of them are Leaf fans that are upset that one of their guys is being suspended for that length of a time. But no, you can't do shit like that. I don't care who you are or what team you play on. I'll be saying the same thing uh, like you, saying if somebody from the Oilers did that, I'd be saying the same thing. If someone from the Winnipeg Jets did that to somebody, I'd be calling for a long suspension as well, too. It's about player safety. And again, Morgan Riley is lucky that Ridley Gregg did not get injured or that would have been a much longer suspension. Also, I remember watching Ridley Gregg with the Brandon Wheat Kings in the Western Hockey League, an extremely uh, extremely talented player. He's, he believes he didn't do anything wrong either, and I, I'm certainly on the side of Ridley yep. Gregg. Now, in our last, uh, last segment just moments ago, I chatted about that East versus West Conference and you getting home ice advantage for the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, I want to talk about a playoff format now. I would love if you you still stay in your conferences, all the divisions are gone, you're just in your conference, and you take the top eight teams, eight from the East, eight from the West, you play through the conference finals, the two winners meet in the Stanley Cup Final. I would also be okay if you take all of it away. Perhaps you still keep your conferences, but you're taking the top 16 teams overall and taking them to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, do you like the current playoff format where the division winners and the wild card teams? I hate this wild card crap. I'm, I'm That's what I'm not a fan of. So in your ideal world, again, Gary Bettman, if you're listening to the podcast, what is your thoughts on the playoffs? I'd, I'd rather see top eights in each conference. Get it, you know. Find a way that you can work it out schedule-wise, that you have a balanced schedule within your own conference, at least, where you're playing each team in your conference the same number of times and then fill out the rest of the schedule with uh, teams from the opposing conference and determine that way how you're going to uh, play your, uh, your have your seeding for the playoffs. But, yeah, I'm not a fan of the wild card either because, um, you know, it's... You're, right now, the, I think the idea is you want to be playing against your own division in the first two rounds, but then you throw the wild card in there, and there's a possibility that a team from one division ends up playing the number one seed from the other division anyway, so you throw that whole thing out altogether. Just make it easy as possible. Top eight in each conference make, a, make their way to the playoffs. This all stemming from Sidney Crosby. Uh, a while back, commenting, I believe he he said it was either uh, he was either in favor of just top eight in the conference, or I think he even said he was in favor of top sixteen overall. And do not at league. least consider it when it's one of the greatest to ever play the sport. Do I think not you do. consider it. I think you do. Look back at the nineteen uh, late seventies and early eighties. This is how they determined the playoffs. Top sixteen teams made the playoffs. Mind you, it was only a twenty-one team league at the time, but the top sixteen played, and you had. 
1 versus 16, 2 versus 15, so on and so on, results in one of the greatest upsets uh, early on in the 1980s when it comes to the playoffs, when the 14th-seeded Edmonton Oilers knocked off the number 3 Montreal Canadiens in an opening round playoff series where the Habs were just a year or so away for, uh, off of winning four Stanley Cups in a row, and it would really mark the introduction of what was eventually to become a dynasty with the Oilers team. Now, you're still going to have upsets with the format as yeah. it is right now. I remember a couple of years ago when Columbus beat Tampa Bay, which was not supposed to happen. Tampa was, uh, you know, one of the best teams in NHL history. Columbus, How about Florida last year? It happens. Be beating happens. Boston when Boston had a record setting season. That still happens. Upsets are still going to happen. But I think the playoff format, in my opinion, as a true hockey fan, needs to change. And when it comes to the wild card thing, it drives me wild. It drives me insane, especially when it comes to the pebbled ice. More on that in just a moment. But boy, oh boy, we got lots to talk about when we return to the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Heavy Hitters Podcast. You can keep up to date with everything Heavy Hitters by following the guys on Twitter at It's the Duffy One and jhenson 73 And you can check them out on Facebook by visiting the Heavy Hitters Podcast page. The boys will be right back with some more heavy hitting action. Championship curling season has begun. The Scotties Tournament of Hearts in Calgary. One of my favorite times of the year. Of course, the Montana's Briar coming up just a, a couple of weeks time. Just down the road as well in Regina. Back on the Heavy Hitters podcast. My name is Duffy, Henny, Jeff Henson, and Darnell Duff. Now we're going to chat about the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. And I know you have some heated thoughts when it comes to teams that are getting the chance to take part in a national championship. There are 18 teams now. This year alone, there are four teams from Manitoba. And that includes some wild card uh, teams as well, which I just, it, it, it puts me in a tizzy every single time. But before we get to your thoughts on this, there are too many teams. Wild cards are a complete joke, in my opinion. Not saying that these teams are a joke, because they've earned yep. the right to be in this tournament based on the format they are going with with the wild cards. But I don't think there should be any wild card spots. There should be a provincial champion from every province and territory, and that makes up the Scotties. And that makes up the Briar. I do not like this whole wild card where, because at the end of the day, what does a provincial championship even mean when you don't have to win it to actually get into the tournament based on your CTRS rankings, Jeff? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I got to disagree with you on this. It's time for Curling Canada to do a shift when it comes to how they determine what teams take part in the Briar and in the Scotties Tournament of Hearts because... Sure, it's nice to have representation from every province, but at the same time, too, some of these provinces are going there and getting absolutely hosed they year are. in and year out. But Jeff, let me put you let me put you in the hot seat there. If you are a team, let's just say from Nunavut or from Northwest Territories in these events, don't you just want an opportunity to play in a national championship? Because for a lot of people, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They don't even think, you know, they're going out there, they're getting hammered, they're losing 14 to 4, 15 to 1, but they're still getting the chance to go up against the best, something that they may never be able to do again in their life. Darnell, that'd be like you and I 
one day, putting a ring together, lucking our way out of winning a province somewhere and going and playing the likes of Brad Gushu and, uh, you know, I'd be in shock. Carruthers, I'd be in teams like that. We, sh we shouldn't be there, but we are. And is that not just another chance to, to soak it all in and go through? Because you're going to make so many friends along the way. You're going to make memories along the way, experiences along the way. Curling Canada missed a prime opportunity a couple years back when they changed the whole residency rules and that you had to be, at the time, you had to be living in the province that you were representing. Now they've changed it where that's not the case. You've got Rachel Holman, who lives in Alberta, still skipping an Ontario representing rink. You've got Jennifer Jones, who lives in Ontario, representing a Manitoba-based uh, representation uh, rink. Um, even uh, like even the Kate Cameron rink. Kelsey Rock is from Alberta as well, too, but playing on a Manitoba-based rink. Val Sweeting, an Edmontonian, playing for Kerry Anderson, rink out of Manitoba. They missed the opportunity, I feel, because really, are these rinks representing those provinces anymore when you start plucking players from other provinces to come play for you? I really think they need to retake a look at this, and both the men and the women. This is not just the woman I'm picking on here. The men need to do this as well, too, because you're seeing it. Who in their right mind would have ever thought a Manitoban in Mike McEwen would be skipping Saskatchewan's champions at a Briar event? He's gone over to the dark side, Mike. Where, where, right? Who in their right mind ever would have thought that would have happened? Because realistically, it, it, it was a, it was a strategical decision for Mike. Absolutely. Because it was. he believed, and maybe it was rightfully so, with the roster that he could have comprised. He wasn't going to be able to win Manitoba because Manitoba is a real strong province when it comes to curling. You have Matt Dunstone who already qualified. It, it comes down to that thing again. He already qualified for the Briar. He would have been favorites at the provincial playdown that was ultimately won by Reed Carruthers, who beat Braden Calvert in a really good championship final. So it, it's hard to talk about Dunstone not being a good wild card because he he deserves to be at the Briar. You want the best possible teams at your national championship thank you thank you for saying that because now this is the format i'm talking i want to i want to see come forward with curl canada because they've gone and like i said completely changed all these residency rules you throw out your provincial championships how you work it is your number one team is your defending champion teams two through eleven are your top ranked ten teams through the point system or however they determine that, they take up spots 2 through 11 at both the Briar and at the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. Then, for your final, you know, I, I even have no problem if you go back down to 16 teams for both of these events. Go away from 18 and bring it down to 16. So for your final couple of events, remember the MCA bond spill years ago where they would have 100 some odd plus teams come in and compete for whatever number of spots at the Manitoba Tankard. Why not have an event like that or multiple events spread across the country? Anybody else that wants a shot at playing at the uh, the Nationals, the Scotties or the Briar, you go to one of these events, it's a giant bond spill, and you win your way Jeff, into are the you, Briar. Are, are we not stunting growth right now, though? With, with that format, how is that stunting growth? Because you have the top teams, you have the you have the Brad Gushus, you have the Reed Carruthers, you, you have all of these top teams. But let's just say there's there's an 18 year old that is a really good curler, 
is a good curler. Maybe isn't elite, but should have the chance to at least go to a national championship. He goes by to one of these events and qualifies his way into the championship. But that's going to be Briar. based. That's going to be based on a season-long points list, is it not? It's not no. just going to be based no. on one tournament. No. If you want, well, for those ten spots, it is yes. But then for the final five, if you want a shot at going to the Briar or to the Scotties, you go to one of these tournaments or one of these bond spiels, and you earn your way into the bond spiel. I mean, that's where again. You and I can throw a team together. And if we decide we ever want to go uh, try to play in the Briar one year, we go and we try to earn our spot through one of these bond spiels. At least then you can say, you can still say you earned your way into that championship against what would be probably a pretty good field. And you should then get your top teams or as many top teams as possible taking part in that national championship. So does that mean that in a tournament, in a qualifying tournament that has eight teams, and you win that, you know, through Northern Ontario, um, whether it be from Alberta, you, did, you didn't earn your right to compete in a national championship? Sorry, repeat that? Just if you're going province by province, let's say Northern Ontario, they have eight teams. Yep. Northern Ontario, uh, you know, obviously Brad Jacobs comes from there and the Hardin brothers, but they're not an extremely strong province when it comes to to the Briar, Krista McCarville isn't yep. having a very good year at the Scotties either. So if you take them away, they may never get a chance to actually compete in a Scotties or a Briar Tournament of Hearts because, or a Briar and a Scotties Tournament of Hearts, because they aren't going to be amongst those top you teams. You want your top teams though competing for a national championship, do you not, Darnell? I think you want, yeah, you want your yes, you want your top. So teams. they should be qualified and they should be working their way through, but not just getting there, oh, because we're from a province that maybe doesn't have the strongest of curlers. Make yourself have to compete and beat some of the top teams in the country that don't get in because they're in that top 10 and make that competition so that you earn your way into a Briar or a Scotties in that way and you truly are getting your 16 or 18 or whatever number of teams you want to have at the Nationals that they are truly the best teams in the country taking part in that and not just teams that are there because, oh, we happen to win our province, which isn't a very strong province curling-wise. What I want is drama at the provincial level. Provincial championships can't go away. They're, they're played in every sport. I think they make up the fabric of this sport, and I think they make up some of the best underdog stories and a chance for some great upsets. I go back to Krista McCarville. She is, is in a province where curling isn't as big and strong as other provinces. That goes without saying. But she can go to a Scott, Scotty's Tournament of Hearts and all of a sudden pick up some upset wins. But I can see, but see on the opposite to that, I see Krista McCarville as one of the better teams in the country. I see Krista McCarville as someone that could go to one of these five or whatever uh, numbered bond spiels, as I'm calling them across the country, win one of them and win her way into the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. So you want to add those on top of the Grand Slams that they already have? Yeah. Why not? The way the, way the sport has gone right now, uh, like I said, you, we've already talked about how residency is no longer an issue. They, they pretty much take teams from wherever. A lot of these teams, they're competing somewhere every weekend as it is. Now you book off one or two weekends over the course of the year for these playoff-style bond spiels, and teams will make a point of leaving that open if they want to have a shot 
at going to the Nationals and know that they're not potentially going to be in those top 10 that automatically gain automatic berths into the Scotties or the Briars. Now, for sure, there is a difference. There's full-time curlers. Those are the teams that are playing at uh, tour events on a week-by-week basis. They're playing on all the Grand Slam events. They're playing in the biggest events in North America and overseas as well. And then you have a group of part-time curlers who aren't playing as much, but they're still pretty good at the game. They still hone their craft, and they still want to try to get to a national championship. For them, being a full-time curler maybe just isn't a real reality with their family. Uh, maybe they have work. I, I'm a big component of you work hard to get where you want to be, but some people just don't. Maybe they can't be full-time curlers. I think you're taking away a chance for those teams that maybe aren't full-time curlers to get the chance to play in a national tournament, which in my opinion isn't fair to those teams. You're not taking that away. You're giving them a chance to try to go to the nationals by qualifying through one of these events. You're not taking that away from them. If they want to, they sign up and they take part of that tournament and they win their way to go to the Briar, much like they would have if they were playing for a provincial championship. I don't know. In the provincial event, in my opinion, it can't go away. You get upsets in the provincial event. Team Cooey. You can get upsets in this as well. For sure, you can. I know. You can get upsets anywhere. Team Cooey lost in their provincial final against Team Sluchinski. Team Cooey should not be in the Briar because they lost in their provincial final. They're still going to the Briar, which, in my opinion, is wrong. I think, again, everybody's open to their opinions. Mm -hmm. I think you got to win a provincial championship. To go to the Nationals, you don't think that is exactly the case. I don't, Something... think, I don't think you're going to see your top 16 teams or top 18 teams ever at a national championship the way the current format and, is right now and the way curlers are moving around the country and basically stacking up teams you know, right across the country. And I'm okay with not seeing the best of the best because I think there have to be some teams that you don't really know or teams that pop out of nowhere that ultimately come and they beat a Reed Carruthers. They beat a Brad Gushu. They beat all the top teams. I love those stories. I love the underdog story. I don't think there's going to be an underdog story with your format. But something I know we will agree on is junior hockey attendance in the country. It is in a poor state, not only in Dauphin, but across the country. More on that in a moment. We're going off. It's the Heavy Hitters Podcast. The Heavy Hitters Podcast returns in just a moment with Duffy and Henny. Do you have a heavy hitting topic you want the boys to chat about? Hit them up on Twitter at It's the Duffy One, JHenson73, or send a message to the Heavy Hitters Podcast Facebook page. And in the meantime, enjoy the show with Duffy and Henny. A beautiful day to be alive. This is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. My name is Darnell Duff. Pleased to be joined by Jeff Henson. And Jeff, we agree on some things. As people just heard, we certainly disagree on some things, but I think that's what it's all about. After all, this is the Heavy Hitters podcast. We got some heavy hitting topics, and I just, I don't want to agree on everything, and we won't. No, we won't, and you can have good conversation and not necessarily agree on all things. And uh, yeah, we certainly just did that with curling, but I know this next topic You and I definitely agree on this one. I'm going to punch some numbers out to you, Jeff, and and get your thoughts. Maybe you're going to be um, thinking, my goodness, this is a a real bad statement. Junior hockey attendance in the country. We're talking about junior A hockey in, in the country, I should say, and guys who are committed, going to be committed 
to play Division I hockey. Sean Williams of the Wayway Sea Kappa Wolverines of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League just committed to play at Robert Morris. Uh, David Cote of the Steinbeck Pistons, the defending champions in the MGHL, just to, just committed to play Union College Division One, and that's just one of many that have committed over the year. But a game over the weekend, you and I had a chance to broadcast in Swan River, Manitoba, between the Dauphin Kings and the Stampeders, a game in which the Michigan was scored. A goal save was uh, a goalie save was one of the best I've ever seen. There were six hundred or two hundred and forty six fans in attendance. Selkirk Steelers this year they have three home games throughout the season so far that have had more than four hundred fans in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. The Yorkton Terriers two of their last three games they've had less than six hundred fans. The Nippon Hawks in the SJHL five of their last six games. 550 fans or fewer over in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, your stomping grounds. And this is what popped out on me as just, uh, it, it honestly made me tear. The Olds Grizzlies, I know they're not a very good franchise. Six games in a row, they've had less than 286 fans. The White Court Wolverines, since December 15th, more than two months of home games, they have had less than 500 fans in 10 of the 11 games. Fans are not coming out to junior hockey games. And what bugs me, Jeff, is so many people are saying, well, Jimmy, we got nothing to do in town tonight. There's nothing. Meanwhile, there's a hockey game going on. The number three ranked Steinbach Pistons were in Dauphin to play the Kings on Friday night. It was a dismal crowd. I know they had on the stat sheet like 600 fans. That includes season ticket holders. I'm going to say there were 400 fans in the stands. Junior A hockey is in a tough spot in the country, and there are so many people that are just staying away from rinks but then complaining that they don't have anything to do. I just don't understand. It, it. is absolutely frustrating. I mean, I'll add another story to this. Uh, this was years ago when I was doing play-by-play -play for Grand Prairie. We were uh, broadcasting a game in Calgary at the now uh, Ken Brocko Memorial Arena at uh, the Max Bell Center in Calgary. Storm were taking on the Calgary Canucks. Oh, Canada's what? About a minute, 10, minute 20 yeah, in length. That range. I was able to count the entire attendance for that game during Oh, Canada. It was under 100 people. Shocking and disheartening. Sad to see. Because they, these players move from across the country, and some are from the United States. They move to these communities because they have a dream. They have a vision to play hockey at the next level. Whether that be Div, Div 1, whether that be Canadian University Sport, or whether that be Division 3. They have a goal in mind, and they're working their tails off. And I know because I cover the Kings, and I talk to these players. There is no better feeling for them than to see the stands packed, jammed with people, which when you see it isn't, it just hurts. And I feel for these players that are working as hard as they are on a day-by-day -day basis and grinding along. And it's good hockey. This is good hockey that we're watching as well, too. We had an instance here a couple weeks ago in Dauphin. We had a Ukrainian night. Again, the Steinbach Pistons, one of the best teams in the country, were in town to take on the Kings, darn near 2,000 people in attendance that night to watch that game. 
You go and talk to those players after that game, uh, Darnell. What was their reaction to seeing the crowd that big that evening? They were smiling from ear to ear, and they said this was one of, obviously they won the game, so it was a cool experience. But just the fact that there were fans in the stands cheering, screaming, ooh, and awing, they said it was an experience they're never going to forget. Now, tickets for that game were only $5, Jeff. Is that where we are right now in this world? And I understand, um, I live it every day. Life is tough. Life is expensive. It's it's not cheap to go to a ring. Maybe you need a couple of adults tickets, a couple of kids tickets, you know, popcorn, uh, maybe a couple of drinks. You're looking in that range of $80. But you were okay taking your family to the movie and spending $100. It paid, exactly. You were okay going to the bar and spending $150 and getting sloshed. But you're not okay supporting your own local junior A hockey team who brings in money. The economy is boosted because of these local junior hockey teams. When the Flin Flon Bombers go to Nipwin to play the Hawks, they're staying in a hotel, they're eating there, they're bringing in money. When they have longer trips, when they're going to Battlefords, that's two nights in a hotel, that's like six meals. It's bringing money, it's boosting the economy. It is. Yep. So you can go to the movies, you can go get drunk, but you can't go support your local hockey team as these players live out their dreams. It's just sickening to me. And when people say there's nothing to do in this community, it drives me wilder than your thoughts on the provincial playdowns <laughs> when it comes to curling. You're not going to let that go, no, are you? probably no. not. No, but it's, I mean, it's, it's very affordable. That game in Swan River last weekend. Uh, my fiance and I and my son Nick went to it. It was $40 for the three of us to walk through the door to watch that game. You can't even get two people to a movie to go see that nowadays when you add in your popcorn and all your snacks and everything like that. And I'm telling you, yes, I'm biased because I'm a big hockey fan, but a lot of hockey games are a lot better than some of the crap that we're seeing in movie theaters right now. So it's worthwhile entertainment. And yeah, I, I, I'm like you. I can't believe people that uh, come out and say, oh, there's nothing to do tonight and won't even consider stepping foot inside the arena to support a local sports team that does so much for your own local economy. So, Jeff, what is, what's the answer? I mean, I guess... If every marketing director knew this, uh, the arenas would be packed. Exactly. Do you That's... have to give more free games? But then how do teams make money? But then you're getting more fans in the stand. What do these teams do? You got it's it's a it's a tricky balance. You've got to. Uh, um, I I I think that uh, a lot of teams have to put more effort into their promotions as far as you know, stuff that they do besides the game. Because nowadays, it's not just a hockey game anymore. It is an evening out. It's it is entertainment. entertainment. So you've got to add some entertainment to maybe bring some of those borderline hockey fans in the door. Get them hooked on the game so that they'll keep coming back more and more and more. you got to do more of your Ukrainian nights. You know, we had an agricultural appreciation night earlier this year in Dauphin. Uh, teddy bear toss nights. You know, events like that that are going to pique the interest of not just the hockey fan, but the non-hockey fan to come out and see how some of these things work. And then you hook them with the hockey itself and you get them to come back for more and more. So whether you're listening to the podcast, you're in Manitoba, you're in Saskatchewan, Alberta, you're out east, or you're further out west. This weekend, when your local Junior A hockey team plays 
get on down to the rink, take your family, go with your friends, have a couple of pops, a box of popcorn, and Jeff, these people will not, they won't regret it. Simple as that. Yeah, let's not just limit it to Junior A. Junior B hockey, very good as well, too. I know we've got a, a great league here in Manitoba and a lot of great uh, junior B leagues uh, across the country as well, too. Get out and support them. Get out and support the minor hockey kids as well, too. That's some more times even free entertainment, just going out and watching local minor hockey teams. Not a lot of them even charge attendance to go watch the game. Get out and support them as well, too. No doubt about it, Jeff. That's going to do it for episode number two. But looking forward to next week. See you in seven. Austin Matthews, does he get to 70? We'll find out what's going on with Curling Canada and junior hockey attendance in the country. Whether it's Junior B, Junior A, Junior C, Minor Hockey, get on down to the rink this weekend. Enjoy some hockey. And in the meantime and in between time, we'll chat with you around the clock. That's a wrap for this week on the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Don't forget to give the guys a follow on Twitter at It's the Duffy One and Jay Henson73. You can also keep up to date with the podcast by visiting the Heavy Hitter Podcast on Facebook. Duffy and Henny will return next week, but for now, keep it real and keep it heavy hitting.